I had kind of a rough night last night um, because I went out with a group of people from the church, and they, along with my family, tried very hard to kill me. <laughs> let, me let me explain. We, we went to Sylvan Hill. Uh, Sylvan Hill is a place where they try to murder you by putting you on an inner tube and pushing you over a cliff. And so I, I'm not really excited about heights. And um, we got there, and there had been some conversation, will it go fast, will it go slow? It was going very fast. It was going fast enough that those folks that were going down were getting to the absolute top of the, I don't know, the second cliff. But if you go behind the second cliff, you just immediately die, right? And um, so anyway, so we got on these little tubes, and we went to the top. And as we're, as we're getting ready to go up, uh, my family is with me, and... Um, several of them are just gleeful about my impending demise, um, but w- one of them um, had the, the common sense to say, this seems like it might be a bad idea, right? This was my seven-year-old son, Asher, uh, and Asher was the only person who, like me, could see this looks like it could be kind of dangerous, right? Um, my daughter said, oh, Dad, you come with me. It'll be fun to see you smashing a bits. Um, and um, so then we said, hey, Asher, do you want to go with a parent, or who do you want to go with so you don't have to go by yourself? And um, Asher said, I'll go with my older brother, Jonathan. And, and I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, what a cool moment. I mean, other than the impending death, what, what a cool moment that Asher thought, you know what, my eyes are telling me, my brain is telling me that going over this cliff in an inner tube is a really bad idea, but I trust my brother so much that if he's with me, I think I'll be okay, right? That's pretty awesome, right? That's pretty awesome. And, and uh, I think, in fact, in that is a pretty good definition of exactly what faith means. I think faith is trusting someone else more than we trust ourselves. I think faith is trusting someone else more than we trust ourselves. My eyes tell me, my mind tells me, my heart tells me going over this cliff is a bad idea, but I trust my brother so much that if he's with me, I think it'll be okay. I think this is exactly what's going on with Abram in our story this morning. God comes to Abram and he says, you know, you're going you're gonna to be blessed. And Abram says, yeah, but I've already got like a lot of money and a lot of stuff, and that's cool. But when I die, my family dies with me because I have no children. And more than all the money and the stuff, I really want children. And in this moment, uh, we are supposed to have in the back of our minds that in chapter 12, God said to Abram, hey, a mighty nation's going to come from you, right? A huge world's going to be blessed through your family. And Abram's thinking, how is this going to happen? I don't have any family. It's just me and Sarai. And, and God comes to Abram, and we're told Abram believes him. And what he believes God about is really important. Abram doesn't believe that God exists. I mean, he does believe God exists, but, but that doesn't matter, right? Abram believes God when God says, you are going to have children of your own. And this is an interesting moment because um, not unlike being on that cliff last night, there's no reason to believe that to be true. I mean, Abram knows how children are born. He's been married for a long time. He doesn't want to, um, interestingly enough, uh, so far, he doesn't want to cheat on his wife. And I, I mention that because Abram's made a lot of other bad choices, and he'll make more bad choices later. But, but so far, he hadn't gone that path. And 
Sarah's barren, right? Sarai is barren. She can't have kids. And they're getting to the point where they're both almost too old to have kids. And God says, you're going to have your own child. And Abram believes what God says more than he believes what his eyes and his brain and his experience tell him. He believes and trusts God more than he trusts himself. This is really the key quality of almost all of the heroic people in the Bible. Um, There aren't very many people in the Bible other than Jesus that don't make some kind of colossal mistake in their life, but what they get right is this. They tend to believe Jesus or they believe God more than they believe in themselves. Think about all the people in the New Testament that come to Jesus for healing, and Jesus says, you know, do you believe? And they say, yeah, like, we think you can do this. I I know that ordinarily people can't make blind men see and deaf people hear and lame people walk and dead people rise again, but Jesus, we think you can. And first they believe that He can do it, and then He does it, right? Again and again and again, those who trust in God more than they trust in their self see the promises of God fulfilled in these amazing ways. Uh, By the way, I don't want to suggest that trusting in God more than trusting in ourself means being completely illogical or unreasonable, right? That's not the idea. Instead, I think the idea is there's a point where our logic and reason can't go beyond. We've talked before about Soin Kierkegaard and the idea of leap, the leap of faith. It was not to say, I'll turn my brain off and believe in God. Rather, it was to say, my brain can take me this far, It can take me far enough to say, hey, this is all reasonable, and I think there really is a God, and this story makes sense, but then there's a choice I make that's more than reason. Donner Atwood tells a story. Uh, There's a fire in a house, uh, and the young boy who's on the second floor has to flee to the roof to get away from it. His father, who's on the first floor, has to run outside, and he sees his son on the roof, and he's pleading with his son, hey, jump, jump, and I'll catch you. Uh, He knows the little boy has to jump to save his life, but all the boy can see is smoke and fire and blackness. And so, you can imagine how terrifying it would be um, to think about leaving that roof. And his father kept yelling, jump, I will catch you. And the boy said, but daddy, I can't see you. And his father said, but I can see you, and that's all that matters. That's the leap of faith. It's not uh, a decision out of ignorance or a, a lack of logic or a turning off of our brain. It's saying that when we get to the end of ourselves, when we get to a point where we can't make it work anymore, where we can't solve our problems, we trust that God, who has been faithful in the past, will be faithful in the present and the future, and we jump to Him. The question is not, is the God of the Bible real? Of course the God of the Bible is real. The question is, do I trust Him more than I trust myself? And when we do this, something really interesting happens. It happens to Abram in this passage. We're told, Abram believed God and the Lord credited it to him. He reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, reckoned it to him just means, you know, God said, hey, you get credit for this thing that you didn't do. Uh, I said earlier this, this morning, uh, if you came and said, hey, um, 
Krista, I, I know I took your physics class and I didn't pass, but I'd really like to have an A. And she said, you know what? I really like you. You can have an A anyway. She would be crediting you the grade, right? You didn't earn it. You're just getting it as a gift. Um, she's reckoning you as past. Here, God reckons Abram as righteous. There are only two people in the Bible so far that have ever been called righteous. One is Noah and one is Abram. We're told Noah was righteous. We're told Abram is reckoned as righteous. Uh, a quick excursus here. Righteous just means in right relationship with everyone. Okay, uh, righteous means uh, my relationship with God is the way it's supposed to be. My relationship with you is the way it's supposed to be. My relationship with my um, dog is the way it's supposed to be. My relationship with the earth, like all of my relationships are correctly ordered the way God designed them to be. And we're told Noah was like that. Noah actually lived that way. But we know Abram doesn't, right? We, we know last week that Abram, in an attempt to save his own skin, sold his wife as essentially a sexual slave to Pharaoh while he made a whole bunch of money off it, and then let Pharaoh get punished by God for uh, taking someone else's wife, even though Pharaoh was ignorant, right? I mean, Abram's not a great guy. By the way, I think this is why we get some of these stories. I think this is why we get some of the great and some of the horrible stories about Abram, because we know Abram's not righteous, but when he trusts in God, God decides to treat him that way. God says, you didn't earn it, but I'll give it to you. A right relationship with God is founded on trusting Him more than we trust ourselves. This is what God has been asking for throughout the whole story of Scripture. It's what Adam and Eve got wrong, right? God said, don't eat this fruit because it'll be bad for you. And they said, I don't know, it looks really good to me. And they ate it. They didn't trust God as much as they trusted themselves. So this is what Abram gets that's so profound, even though so much of his life is messed up. He recognizes that God is the one who can make it right. And he trusts God more than he trusts himself. Uh, and then we get this really interesting moment at the end of this chapter where Abram asks about the land. There's two promises, right? To have children and to have the land. And Abram asks about the land and says, how will I know? And God says, let's kill some animals. And they, they cut up these animals. And so they take like half a cow and they put it over here and half a cow they put it over here. Uh, and, and then well, what's supposed to happen doesn't happen. What's supposed to happen uh, is that they're, they're cutting a covenant, right? In the, in the Old Testament, it almost never says God made a covenant with so-and-so. It almost always says He cut a covenant, right? Because the implication is that I'm making a promise and you're making a promise and we're going we're gonna to cut these animals apart and we're going to walk through them together and we're saying, you know, I will give my life to keep this promise. I'm going to start doing this at weddings, just not with cows, it'd be too messy, but just, you know, maybe some turtle doves, right? Say, all right, uh, as you leave, we'll throw rice and just walk right between the turtle doves, and it's really going to be a great symbol, right? I think people will love it. We'll, we'll offer it as an optional thing, optional thing. But what's supposed to happen doesn't happen, right? What's supposed to happen is these two people make a covenant, and they walk between these animals saying, um, I will give my life to keep this promise. But Abram falls asleep. Actually, in fairness to Abram, he doesn't fall asleep. God makes him fall asleep. And the only person that passes through the cut animals is this blazing 
torch and this smoking fire pot, right? It's, it's the symbol of God's presence. We get again and again through the Bible, fire always seems to represent God, right? And, and, and as God and God alone passes through these animals, we get this message that God says, I will give my life to keep this promise. I don't need you to give yours. It's not in your hands. It's not that I expect you to be good enough. And in fact, God kind of knows Abram, right? He knows Abram and He knows us. He knows that neither Abram nor us can be expected or trusted to get our life together, to fix our broken relationships, to know what a good life should look like, to love, to forgive, to be selfless the way we're supposed to be. Thank God we don't have to trust in ourselves. Thank God the promise is not that we both walk through the animals and we both must give our lives to be faithful. Only one person risks their life to keep this promise. Ah, by the way, um, one of the interesting things in this story is God makes these promises to Abram and he gets some pretty amazing visions about knowing he can trust them, but he doesn't get the promise fulfilled yet. At the end of the chapter, he still doesn't have any kids. He still doesn't have any land. And I think this is overwhelmingly important. The work of faith is trusting God while we wait. Trusting God more than ourselves while we wait. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know how God's promise will be fulfilled. And sometimes that is the very thing that keeps us from moving. So I I came across this random internet fact this week. So there are uh, animals in Africa called impalas, which are like antelopes that are really fast. And apparently the impala is a really impressive animal. I understand that it can jump like 10 feet high and like 30 feet in distance, which is amazing. And so I was trying to find proof of this before I told you, and I found somebody uh, somewhere in Africa on a road with their cell phone videoing a group of impalas running past the road, okay? And I'm going to show it to you twice, once at full speed and once in slow motion. Okay, I show you that video because those suckers can jump, right? So the random internet fact, which must be true because it's on the internet, uh, is that an impala can be kept in a zoo with a three-foot-high wall, right? So, you know, about that. Now, they can jump 10 feet high, but you can keep them in an enclosure with a three-foot-high wall. And the reason is that an impala will never jump if it can't see where its feet are going to land, Isn't that interesting? I mean, it can be kept caged for life. Something that's capable of jumping like that over cars on a road can be kept caged for life for a three-foot wall because its fear keeps it from jumping until it can know for sure where its feet will land. I think this is exactly 
our challenge, right? Our challenge is to say, if I trust God more than I trust myself, um, I don't know where my feet will land. I don't know when His promises will be fulfilled. I don't know at what point in time all this will come true. And so, it's really kind of scary. We're like that kid on the roof with the Father calling, and we're thinking, yeah, staying here seems bad, but jumping off seems pretty bad too. And this is why when we trust God, it counts as righteousness, This is why when we trust God, it counts as us being right with God. It takes some some heart choice on our part to say, I'm going to take that leap of faith. I'm going to take that leap of trust. But it's not a choice we make in ignorance. It's not a choice we make without evidence of God's faithfulness to us because we know that the one who promises to catch us didn't just walk through the covenant animals, offering to risk His life. He gave His life, and He took it back up again. Now, the words, it was reckoned to Him, were written not for Abram's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is handed over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the hope and the promise of Scripture, that we are invited into the same story that Abram was invited into, that God makes the same. In fact, He makes better promises to us than He made to Abram. Uh, The promise of eternal life, the promise of eternity lived with God together. And all we have to do is not be perfect, is not have our life right in order, is not always to do the right thing in every moment, but just to trust God more than we trust ourselves. Believe Him and it will be reckoned to you as righteousness. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 